0: Welcome again to our study in the Epistle of Paul to the Philippians. We have been off for a few weeks during the Hanukkah holiday and we also had some other things that were going on and so it's nice to be back with you all. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father again we are so grateful for your word. We're grateful Lord that you have sustained it and preserved it for us and we know that it is a miracle of your hand because no book has ever been maintained with such accuracy as what we see in the manuscripts of the scriptures. We thank you, Lord. We know that your word lives and abides forever, and we thank you that we have it, that we can study it, and that by your mercy and grace through the work of your Spirit, we can apply it to our lives and live out that which honors you and that which is so good for us. So, Lord, I pray that as we read these verses, as we study them today, that it would be a blessing to those who attend and those who listen afterwards. And Lord, that it that your word would have its due effect in all of our lives as we yield ourselves to you and we seek your help, your strength, and we desire to give you the glory for all things. And we bless you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Okay, as is our custom, I'm going to read chapter 4. Uh, in its entirety so that when we look at just verses 14 through 16 this evening we'll have it in some context here's philippians 4 in the new american standard bible therefore my beloved brethren whom i long to see my joy and crown in this way stand firm in the lord my beloved i urge hudia and urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the lord Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Messiah Yeshua. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard, and seen in me practice these things and the god of peace will be with you but i rejoiced in the lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me indeed you were concerned before but you lacked opportunity not that i speak from want for i have learned to be content in whatever circumstances i am i know how to get along with humble means and i also know how to live in prosperity In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone for even in thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs not that i seek the gift itself but i seek for the profit which increases to your account but i have received everything in full and have an abundance i am amply supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent a fragrant aroma an acceptable sacrifice well pleasing to god and my god will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in messiah yeshua now to our god and father be the glory forever and ever amen greet every saint in messiah yeshua the brethren who are with me greet you all the saints greet you especially those of caesar's household the grace of the lord yeshua messiah be with your spirit well once again that is such a moving uh, chapter uh, as is all of Philippians uh, I know that uh, especially in these times where we're dealing with extra things in this uh, pandemic and so forth uh, I have had in my heart and mind by the Lord's grace rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice we must always find the truth which, in which we can rejoice even in difficult times even in times of sorrow And we will have times of sorrow in this life, but remember what Yeshua said. He said, in this world you will have tribulation, that is, you will have troubles, but don't be downtrodden. I have overcome the world, he said. And that's the very hope that we see here in these final words of Paul in this grand epistle to the Philippians. All right. We're going to start with verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Well, the opening, nevertheless, is actually just one word, a uh, small word in the Greek. It's a uh, plain. It Hearkens back to verse 10, in which Paul offers his sincere thanksgiving for the aid supplied to him by the believers in Philippi. By using this word to introduce his thankfulness for the aid they have extended to him, Paul is seeking to make clear that his previous words, that is, his words about how he was sustained and he's learned to be content in everything, that these words were not at all to be taken as some kind of rebuke or disappointment in them as though they previously had disregarded his needs. In other words, he's not saying, well, I've been able to do things myself since you didn't help me. No, he's not saying that at all. He did not want his previous words in which he emphasizes his own ability to persevere in spite of the dire circumstances in which he found himself, to be received as a rebuke or disappointment in their lack of assistance. Indeed, he makes it clear in verse 10 that their lack of coming to his aid resulted from circumstances beyond their control. Moreover, he wants that his emphasis upon his ability to persevere without their assistance should be understood as giving praise to God, who empowered him to do so, and not, as in any way, extolling his own strength and spiritual stamina. So, in the context of the whole epistle, when Paul says that he has been able to persevere, that he's been able to be content, whether in dire straits or in in good and happy times, all of that, if you take the, the epistle as a whole, he's saying, this is God's work. He's not seeking to take the praise himself he's giving it entirely to the lord and we ought to emphasize that in our own lives i have been meditating upon one of the five solas and that one is sola dea gloria everything for the glory of god that has to be our perspective we do well in order that he might be praised we persevere in order that he might receive the glory for all that we are all that we hope to be and all that we will be is the result of God's sovereign loving grace in our lives Paul says you have done well the Greek actually has you have done good translated by the N.E.S.B. as you have done well now I know this just is a point of grammar but the issue is that in the Greek the word here kalos to do good is the adverbial form of the noun kalos that which is good, since it is grammatically improper in current English to use good as an adverb, although everybody does use it these days and maybe it will eventually be put into the books as being okay, we say to somebody, you did good. Well, in reality, in English, that would mean you did something that was good. It wouldn't mean that the way you did something was good because we use the word well for that. It's in proper in current English to use good as an adverb, though it is commonly heard uh people saying you did real good. The NESB and the other modern translations have used proper English grammar by translating you have done well. Well uh, describes how the action happened. The verb, the action, you, you can do it well or you can do it poorly. Now, what you do may be good or may be bad, but that doesn't describe how you do it. It only describes the the end product of what you did. Well, in uh, when it's translated into English in our Bibles, you'll see that there are different ways that the Bibles have done it. But that's why he has the word well. The, the question would be, if you're just reading English, is... Paul saying you have done good things, or that the, what you have done, you have done in a very good fashion. That is, you've done it well. The Greek makes it very clear. And it means you are doing rightly. You are doing well. You're doing what you ought to be doing. The NIV seeks to retain the concept of good by translating our verse, It was good of you to share in my troubles. Okay, well, that's that's kind of a way around it. However, this actually changes the meaning of the text, for this translates the Greek verb kalos, to do good, as though it were an adjective modifying you. It was good of you, or good (laughs) good that you were good, uh, rather than what the Greek text emphasizes, that what the Philippian community had done for Paul was very helpful for Paul in his time of affliction for the sake of the gospel. Here's something that's uh, also been on my mind lately, primarily because uh, two weeks ago when we were at the ETS annual meeting, I went to a, uh, a session that someone did on this whole question of are we really helping people when we just give them handouts? And this uh, author showed quite clearly by the uh, study that he had done and by a number of widely ranging uh studies that were done not necessarily by him at all but by other uh, entities that when people are down and out and all we do is give them something you know somebody is on the side of the street with a with a sign saying homeless please give me money we are not helping them just to give them money what has been shown by the sociologists and it's been well attested Uh, That when somebody is not able to make it themselves, when we give them something to help them, it lowers their self-esteem rather than helping them become what God wants them to be. Someone who works and gains from the work that which is profitable and right for them. So when Paul is in prison, he doesn't have the ability to help himself. He does not have the means, and yet he has proven himself throughout his life to be God's apostle, and has been a sterling example to those communities to which he had traveled. So when it says, when it says, um, you, "You do well to help me," he's asking for what God would intend them to do. That when someone wanted to do Whatever he could on his own, as Paul did for years, but now he's incarcerated, and we'll in a moment look at uh, just mention again what the Roman prisons were like. He says it was it was uh, very well of you; you did well to share with me in my affliction. In the phrase "to share with me," the concept of sharing is a translation of the Greek sun koineo, which is made up of the preposition soon, which means "with" in the Greek and the verb koinoneo to share koinonia to be together to share is the noun the related noun is koinonia which is often used to denote close association involving mutual interests and sharing it can mean association communion fellowship or close relationship that's directly out of the greek uh, lexicon thus paul is emphasizing the tremendous value and even spiritual necessity of the believing community and its fellowshipping together which a local assembly provides how was it that the believing community in philippi shared together in paul's affliction we should first reckon with the fact that for people to bring necessary items that is food clothing etc to paul while in prison was likewise to show an association or connection to him with the increasing antagonism against the followers of yeshua which was extant among the unbelieving jewish community it is clear that those who brought the gifts of the philippian ecclesia to paul could also be associated with that which fomented paul's imprisonment one author gordon fee notes it this way in the present instance he refers to his imprisonment with the broader word affliction used most often to refer to afflictions suffered by believers because of their relationship to Christ. It is an especially appropriate word in this case, because not only did they participate with him in his affliction by sending their gift, but they did so in the context of their own affliction, noted in the earlier passages in 1.29-30 and 2.17 and hinted at elsewhere. Well, so basically Paul is saying, I'm so grateful that you're willing to come, even though it may put you in very difficult straits when they send messengers from Philippi all the way to where Paul was in Rome. It puts them in the place where they're spotted and looked at and pointed at and marked as followers of Yeshua. Well, we may learn an important lesson from this, namely, the high importance the scriptures puts upon regular commitment to an attendance with a believing community and this is all the more emphasized in our current text when the followers of yeshua were targets not only for persecution from the jewish community but also from the ruling government now as i get into this i don't you know here we are we're using an internet we're not all together and that's fine that's good but what i'm about to point out is that we have to be careful That we don't think that that is equal with actually meeting together with other believers and I'm not talking necessarily about uh, a an established community of believers in some cases there may not be one what I'm talking about is having life-to-life association with at least some other believers where you come together you encourage each other you pray together you study the word together and that friendship and that association is i believe essentially what the scriptures are talking about as we'll see here in the next paragraphs well why is it that very often people tend to diminish the value of being a regular member within a local community of believers until such time when the freedom to congregate together is taken away (laughs) in other words oftentimes we take for granted what we have until it's taken away and then we realize the value of it the scriptures teach this plainly let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near So here we have it in inspired scripture that we ought to hold very highly the privilege of being with other believers, encouraging one another, helping one another, and learning together how to apply the word of God to our individual lives, to our lives as families, and to our life as a community now remember that paul began this epistle to the philippians by framing the faith of the philippian believers as participation together within the local believing community he says i thank my god in all my remembrance of you always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now how did he envision that participation in the gospel not only in helping Paul as he uh, went from one place to another by sending things that he needed, uh, food and so forth, perhaps funds as well, but he's talking about their being together when he was in Philippi. And he remembers their being together, their coming together, and how it was so helpful, not only for him, but for everyone in attendance. In our current text, Their participation is not limited to the regularly being together, worshipping together and caring for one another in their life of faith, but also caring for for Paul by supplying him with that which was necessary. That is, not only necessary for his physical life, but also encouraging him by demonstrating their faith in Yeshua through obedience to the Lord's commands. When Paul sees those that he has had the privilege to uh, even lead to faith in the gospel and then to help build them up in the things of the word when he sees them continuing on and persevering and growing in their faith for paul and for leaders in general this ought to be one of the greatest privileges one of the greatest goals and what a wonderful wonderful uh, uh, payment as it were (laughs) for their efforts as they see the work of god in the lives of others with whom they have had the privilege to teach and to encourage and to open the word to them thus we see in our text an example of putting into practice what paul taught in his epistle to the galatians about fulfilling the torah of messiah bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of messiah what did he say he said the whole law is fulfilled in this way to love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your might and then he added to it and your neighbor as yourself now who is your neighbor generally speaking in the scriptures a close neighbor is viewed as a fellow believer in the messiah now granted we have unbelieving neighbors and we can be in testimony to them by helping them too but ultimately to bear each other's burdens. And to love your neighbor as yourself means someone that you have a regular relationship with. And that can be in our families, it can be in our neighborhoods, but ultimately it ought to be within the community of believers. In our modern world, we have many ways to communicate with each other. We have phones, we have email, some of you use Skype, online services and so forth. And these are very helpful and can be used for that which is good, like we're doing right now. I'm so grateful that we're able to meet together this way. Don't get me wrong, I'm not putting that down. But what I'm trying to emphasize is that does not take the place of our need to be with people face-to-face, life-to-life, and help each other as we walk in this world. In fact, by means of our modern technology that make such digital Connections possible, we are able to communicate with other believers, many of whom we may never meet face to face. And yet, while meeting online is a wonderful privilege and has great advantages and may bear bountiful spiritual fruit, it does not entirely replace the real value of meeting together on a regular basis with other believers who are committed to each other in the many aspects of living out our faith in Yeshua. There is something that cannot be replaced by, you know, online or even writing letters back and forth to each other in an old fashion and so forth. There's something that cannot be replaced that comes about when we meet together. Now, there's both a positive and sometimes a not so positive of that. But in all of that, we learn to do what God intends us to do as we learn to help one another even as we learn to forgive each other as we bear with one another and in doing that we grow in our own faith and in our own perseverance and in our own sanctification even meeting on a regular basis with just a few other believers is better than not meeting at all for in a life-to-life connection we are enabled truly to help each other with the goal of encouraging one another in the faith. What is more, we may also be challenged to love one another, even when some within the community are more difficult to love than others. This is one of the major drawbacks, I think, with online-only associations. Again, I'm not putting down online, I'm not putting down this ability to meet together and to uh, encourage one another in the things of the word. But what I'm saying is, in and of itself, it's not enough. It's too easy to leave the meeting with a simple click of the mouse. Whereas in a face-to-face community, we are often challenged to grow in our ability to love each other even when we disagree or have differences of opinions or various life issues yes you probably know exactly what i'm talking about in this Uh, sometimes the things that are more difficult for us in terms of relationships are the very things that help us grow i don't think that when uh, yeshua taught his disciples and us to love your enemy as yourself He's not talking about someone who's trying to take your life or something like that. No, what he's talking about is those who are difficult to get along with. Those who have a a tongue that sometimes is too quickly uh, opened to say things that are not very uh, uplifting. Or someone who just seems to always be coming up with problems and coming up with difficulties. And we think, oh, what do I, you know, how do I, you know... (laughs) how do i get away from this person no in a community we learn to say what is it that i can do i maybe can't do everything or anything but what i can do is pray and be kind and seek to help encourage the person to right living and good decisions and so forth and so on so in verses 15 and 16 you yourselves also know philippians that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Well, Paul uses emphatic language here. He writes, You yourselves also know. In the scriptures, when the uh, pronoun, for instance, here the pronoun you and yourselves, Uh, are used together it's for emphasis it's done both by repeating the pronoun and adding the word also and this is strengthened by the fact that the philippian community was alone in sharing with paul to meet his needs while in prison that's amazing for all of the travel that he did for all that he gave in order to speak forth the message that yeshua had given him you would have thought that there would have been many others, but he says here in our text that only one community in Philippi regularly helped him in the physical needs that he had. That he uses such language was not only to honor the Philippian community, but also to let them know that he had never forgotten the kindness they had shown to him, a kindness that flowed from their desire to honor Yeshua, and I think that would we would say first of all, and to obey his commandments one can only imagine the grave circumstances paul faced as he was taken bound and thrown into prison for history alerts us to the fact that roman prisons were a place where many died due to the fact that those who controlled the prisons did not consider the maintenance of prisoners to be their concern well they may have given minimal rations early after the person was incarcerated but sustaining meals were to be supplied only by family or friends and not by the prison officials moreover generally speaking most of those who were incarcerated were there simply awaiting execution the roman prisons were not like our prisons it was the place to keep someone from running away because he had done something that the roman officials said was worthy of Uh, being put to death execution so why should we help this person he's going to die anyway i i don't think we can hardly imagine what it would have been like to be in a a roman prison Uh, they didn't care and uh there were no facilities Uh, one wondered if they even got water sometimes i'm sure they did but did they get enough to wash with? Probably not. It was the worst of worst. And Paul here tells us that there was only one group that came to his aid. And in fact, one of the great things is that a whole epistle now is in the inspired scriptures as he speaks to them and writes to them and so forth and so on. That Paul's testimony in verse 12 of this chapter. That he was enabled by the strength God gave him to be content and even able to rejoice while in such dire straits shows the power of faith for those who have grown strong in faith and thus by God's grace are enabled to remain faithful even in such circumstances. I think that all of us, to one extent or another, maybe some more than others, but we all wonder, how will I face the future? How will I face this if this happens to me? How will I handle this? how will i handle that and what do the scriptures teach us we should not be overly worried concerned or anxious about tomorrow today has enough concerns of its own and we must put our lives into the hands of god knowing that he has everything in our life in his control and that he will help us as we rely upon him as we are faithful to him and as we serve him He will help us, even if it means helping us to uh, persevere through very difficult situations. The structure of verses 15 through 16 is interesting, for they are formed in a way to emphasize the love shown to Paul by the Philippian community in the matter of giving and receiving. And I've put it here as kind of a visual. It's called a chiastic arrangement because... Actually, you can kind of uh, make it so it makes an x which is a key, uh, which is the uh letter key in in the Greek but i've shown you where the uh parallels are we have at the first preaching of the gospel after i left uh left Macedonia and then we have another location in its parallel so i've put those uh i haven't indented those. The other one that parallels it is for even in Thessalonica. So these are the two areas. And then he says, not one church shared with me. Okay, well, but what is that parallel to? The opposite, but you alone. And then he says it again, you sent a gift for my needs. And he parallels in the matter of giving and receiving with more than once. So he he does that. And the scriptures are the Greek way of doing that is very clear, and it's also true in the Hebraic world that repeating by way of parallelism is a way of emphasizing and reemphasizing the most important points. He said, "No church shared with me in these words." Paul takes the Philippian believers back to the beginning of his association with them to his second missionary journey, as it's oftentimes called into Macedonia, in which he first was at Troas then to philippi then he moved next to thessalonica then berea and then to athens and after that he left for jerusalem and returned to antioch his point is that after his travels in macedonia no other believing communities helped him in terms of his physical needs but only the philippian community thus the community at philippi is marked by paul as an example of what should be the pattern for all those communities who benefited from his ministry. As Paul taught the believing community in Galatia, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. This isn't something that uh, we're not saying that teachers should uh, plan to get rich off of their teaching and so forth. No, what it means is is that teachers are to be uh, held in, in high, high esteem as long as they're teaching the truth and doing it well and doing it humbly and they should be remunerated so that they can spend all of their time doing what God has given them to do now I know there's a lot in our world where teachers are becoming very very wealthy <laughs> uh, well that isn't what Paul is saying meeting our needs is the issue and i'm so grateful that the lord has enabled us over these years Uh, he has supplied our needs over and over again and i'm so grateful for the way that others have uh, shared with us and i'm not asking for anything i'm not that please don't understand me uh, saying that i'm just grateful that the lord has sustained our lives and given us this work to do and that he has enabled us to do it and we intend to do it well as best we can for his glory and for the upbuilding of his people so paul says the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with those with the one who teaches him the word church in this case in this verse is the primary english noun used to translate the greek ekklēsia. while there exists an ongoing debate about the derivation of the english word church the scholarly consensus is that it derives from the greek kurakos meaning of the lord its early use referred to things belonging to the lord as in the day of the lord or the table of the lord and i have given you the references for that in the footnote eventually by the third or fourth centuries of the common era the word was applied to a church building as belonging to the lord and thus from a very early time third to fourth century that the building itself was considered to be sacred this may be seen in Eusebius, a 4th century uh, author, who notes that the Christians were given permission to build churches. And he uses that same Greek term, kurioka. In the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Let me just stop and say, in our modern uh, world, we, there's nothing wrong with using the word church. But I think it's interesting, because what does ekklesia means? It means those who are called called out. Called out from where? Called out from the world and together to be a light in the world. Ecclesia has the very calling of God as its primary meaning. And church, well, I know words only have meaning in its context. In our uh, culture, a church is most oftentimes thought of as the building. But, there's also a sense in which they would say that we're the church that meets here or we're the church of and given a name and so forth. So I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying, if we understand the original ecclesia, I believe it has a much better Christ-centered, Messiah-centered aspect. Those who are called out of the world to be followers of Yeshua. He says, So, in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone only you in the matter of giving and receiving uh he's saying to the philippian believers only you and you alone met my needs the primary expression of friendship in the greco-roman world was maintaining quote a partnership in the matter of giving and receiving that's from uh, gordon fee in his commentary but he's done quite a bit of uh study on that in other words if you were a friend within the roman or greco-roman world it meant that you were willing to give and willing to receive so when paul emphasizes that the philippian community was alone in caring for his needs he is honoring them greatly for their faithfulness not only to him but to yeshua who commands us to care for each other and to honor those who work hard at preaching and teaching right isn't that what he says in first timothy 5:17? here once again we see the great value and necessity for communities of believers to be in close proximity to each other for it is in the sharing of life to life that we are enabled to fulfill the very purpose of the ecclesia namely to honor and give praise to god and to help one another in the life of faith so that all who are truly his become more and more conformed to be like him in the way that we think in the way that we speak in the actions that we take uh, in our lives and so forth how we care for one another and how we deal with one another it is amazing to hear these words of Paul that the Philippian community was the only one sending necessary provisions to him for one would have expected that all of the communities to which he had traveled and ministered would have wanted to send him aid and this is especially true having been incarcerated in a roman prison which were well known for having no concern about the life or welfare of their prisoners thus in making this statement paul is surely putting forth the philippian community as a model to be followed in caring for those from whom they have received the message of life for even in thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs he says in other words even when he had left philippi and gone to thessalonica they were still sending him that which he needed consider in ancient times how one would accomplish traveling over land the roads were often the place where thieves took advantage of weary travelers for there were very few inns where one could spend the night in safety moreover The distance between Philippi and Thessalonica was nearly 97 miles. Now, I'm sure that they would have traveled by way of uh, an animal, you know, a mule or a horse or something. But even then, going 100 miles, how long would have taken? Given this understanding, we can see that those who carried the provisions to give to Paul from the philippian community would have undergone quite an arduous journey and they did this more than once this again offers a true model for believing communities the foundation of the community is the unity that comes by accepting and living out the truths of god's word with everyone striving to grow in their love for god and for each other And let me stop here and just say uh, I have, I have uh, talked with people who are in a community even a messianic community and they say when we go there's uh, you know a lot of music and, and then there's a 20 minute kind of a rah-rah message and then we all go home. That's not what the scriptures are talking about when it says community. We should be willing to be together and we should be willing to help one another and all of this should be based upon a clear and regular steady teaching from the word of god is not the word of god the very center of who we are in terms of how we're to live and how we're to treat each other and how we're to live for the glory of god yes of course it is and the demise of the church across the board i'm not talking any denominations here. Uh, but the, the demise of the church has been that very often, and not across the board, there are very many good, uh, teachers of the scriptures, please understand me, but very often, what people get when they go to church once a week is a 20 or 30 minute sermon with kind of a attaboy, way to go, build you up, and plenty of music, and so forth and so on. And people are not growing in the faith and we see this well it's not only in our era not only in our lifetimes but it's all our way around but i could hope and pray that in this so-called messianic movement we might be able to do better we won't do it unless the scriptures are the basis the foundation we must know and apply the scriptures and that's why i'm so glad that we're able to do this even in the midweek to be together and to look over this wonderful epistle of philippians so as i say this once again offers a true model for believing communities the foundation of the community is the unity that comes by accepting and living out the truths of god's word with everyone striving to grow in their love for god and for each other This requires establishing a genuine care for each other and a willingness to honor our Lord Yeshua through caring for each other and boldly working together for the mutual strengthening of each member's faith with the ultimate goal that God would be glorified. Now there's another component here that always must come along with it. In order to do this, we must not only set ourselves to this goal, we must also learn how to forgive very often in communities there is a rift that comes and people begin to talk and to begin to put others down behind their back the gossip the lashon hurrah and then there is this division and the ability to forgive seems to have been lost but the scriptures are very clear we're to forgive one another in the same way even as god has forgiven us how has he done that he's done it on the basis of what yeshua did on the cross that he gave himself that he died for us he rose again to triumph over sin and death and we must cling to those promises and we must learn how to forgive that is to give it to the lord to have a heart for the person that has sinned against us or so we think he has or she has or maybe they have in gossip and whatever we have to learn to forgive a forgiving heart and a forgiving spirit is the necessity of a group that will stay together that will help each other and will grow together to honor the lord as paul is telling us here Thank you again for coming and look forward to being with you next week. Glad you were with us. Look forward to being with you next week, Lord willing, as we continue our study in this great epistle to the Philippians.